Hello, cruel world, and welcome to a very special episode of I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy Twist on a Twist on a Twist Randawa, and with me is my beautiful and talented co-host, Miss Samantha Secret Twin He's Oh, I have a secret twin? You are in the secret twin. Oh, I am the secret twin. You killed your secret, secret twin. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, we already kind of gave a small spoiler, but in case you don't know how this podcast works, on these episodes, it is going to be all spoilers, so we expect you've watched this movie, A Simple Favor from 2018 that we're going to be discussing today. I tried listening to podcasts about this movie, and every couple of months, I listen to other movie podcasts, and Mm -hmm. then I get angry because I don't like them. But the majority of podcasts about this movie, it's just like an hour of uh, recapping the plot. Huh. Why would you do that? Just watch the movie then. Yeah, that's almost the length of the movie. Yeah. I don't get it. So every week we switch back and forth on whose movie we're watching. So this week it was my turn and we watched the 2018 psychological thriller-ish movie, a Simple Favor, starring Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. And I actually love this movie. I think it's super fun and, um, like, doesn't take itself too seriously. And uh, so now Indy. I love this movie. Did you? I don't think I love this movie. Mm. I know uh, I don't like a lot of your movies a lot of the time, but I want to say that through the first half hour... I thought this movie was brilliant. <laughs> Not just like, oh, it was pretty good and fun. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. The uh, very difficult tight wire act they did of having the tone between like that psychological thriller you were talking about to a kind of dark comedy. Mm-hmm. They did it beautifully. And that's a very difficult uh, thing to do, I think. But as the movie went on, it I felt it got bigger and broader and tried many, many things. Mm. It was less focused, and I think it got too convoluted. So by the end, I was wondering if I even liked it. No. So it had such a variety that overall, I'd say, like, no, I like this movie. It's a good movie. I think there should be more movies like this. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt it did not fulfill all the promise that the first half hour of the movie had Hmm. it just couldn't sustain that uh tight wire act that it that the movie was doing for the first little bit it is very quippy and fast-paced in the beginning um maybe fast-paced is the wrong way to put it it's very quippy and um it like gets you right into it and it's kind of immersive in the beginning and then all of a sudden there's, like, secret sisters and husbands sleeping with other people and brothers and secret twins. And so it just got a little crazy. And I can see what you mean by that. Well, let's get into it then. Should we start with the beginning and what I loved so well? And it seems like you, like you loved the whole movie, so you loved the beginning I did. as well. I can see the faults in it, mm-hmm. but I think that it didn't damage it to the point where it wasn't good anymore. And I don't want to say it's a bad movie. I just didn't love it. And it couldn't sustain the like 10 out of 10 greatness it had going on earlier. Oh, and I agree with you. Yeah, it it falls. It's still a good movie and an enjoyable movie and Mm -hmm. uh, like a pretty fun watch. But I just thought it was amazing at the beginning. And uh, 
Well, I think the biggest thing that changes is we get less of Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick together. Mm -hmm. Blake Lively plays Emily and Anna Kendrick plays Stephanie. So I think I might interchange those a lot as we go through this conversation. But for everyone out there, that's who I mean. But the two of them, when they're on screen, that's when this movie is at its best. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that there's about an hour in the middle of this movie where they don't appear on screen together. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And uh, those little chats with the martinis and with Stephanie trying to fit in with Emily's life and Emily, who like clearly needs a friend and just doesn't know how to like have one or find one. So suddenly this friend is landed in her lap and you see them get closer throughout the movie, which is kind of, it's kind of fun to watch because you can tell that Stephanie is very uncomfortable the first time she goes to Emily's house. I think the two of them were so good. Mm -hmm. They're very good at what they're doing. And I think I didn't even appreciate it as much when I watched it because I thought they were very good, but we just watched about a half hour of it mm-hmm. again to kind of recap while I was making my notes getting ready to record today since we watched it about a week ago. Usually we like fast forward through really quickly and yeah, just watch just, just a little refresher. And there were so many little things that I didn't even pick up on early on in the movie that pay off later. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of references to uh, to the deaths that are going to happen and things like that. But they also have little things like uh, Stephanie's characterization of when Nikki... Emily's son is like smashing her son's stuff. Yeah. And rather than telling that son, that child not to do that, she goes, oh, watch your fingers to yeah. her own child. It's yeah. like a nice way to yeah. say like, that kid is crazy. He's going to break your yeah. fingers. Um, someone should probably reel that child. <laughs> yeah. Or when she goes like, oh, don't run. I mean, be safe. Yeah. Like she's such a mom blog mom. Yeah. Right. And I, I loved that. And I loved their friendship, like you were talking about. I think you were, I think you had brought up maybe on the last episode that Blake Lively's character is a very um, larger than life in Mm -hmm. certain ways. And you were mentioning her fashion a lot. And I think this is something that you notice more than I do. But in this movie, I think even I noticed it. But do you want to speak on that? Larger than life is a really good way to put it. She's very much, they made it. So that she seemed like she wasn't even from that small town where... Oh, she's from the city. Stephanie lives, right? Like, Stephanie seems like she was born and raised there. Emily is, like, from another planet. And she's wearing all of these, like, suits and very masculine, um, but still somehow, like, sexy outfits, like a, a men's vest and suit pants without a shirt underneath. Well, I think her first introduction is a great example of mm-hmm. this because we see her walking in the rain with this big hat. She has her overcoat tied up. You can see her cuffs and collar through that. And she looks like she's in a 1950s noir. Yes. And we do have to watch some film noir because I think now that I know you love this movie, I think you'll appreciate a lot oh. of those because this is very steeped in all of that. But I'm getting... Off topic. Let's go back to that. But let's talk about her outfit. And she appears a lot like um, not the femme fatales of those movies, Mm -hmm. but your either your villain or your detective anti-hero. And what I love is then when Stephanie goes to her place and we see Emily take off her coat, 
she's just wearing the cuffs and collar. It's yeah. not a full shirt. Yes. So I think that's uh, probably Feig's not so subtle, but like beautifully done way of saying like, oh, you thought that this is like the masculine villain or hero yeah. that you're used to. And it is, but also she has uh, like this sexuality to mm-hmm. her, this undeniable femininity with that strength as well. Yes. She's blending these two worlds and not only does she pull it off, uh, Blake Lively, yeah. the, the actor, but the costuming really brings that to the forefront. For sure, yeah. And she wears some really cute uh like menswear like very tailored menswear pieces throughout the movie Mm -hmm. um there's one towards the end of the movie where she's wearing a vest open with no like shirt or bra or anything underneath and then she has like a bow tie or like a cravat and it's just like she gets sexier as the movie gets more like crazy and dangerous and as you were saying earlier their friendship seems like odd at least to begin mm-hmm. with did you have any problem believing them as friends like because they are so different i feel like there's a certain point where like two people who are so different where you're like nope they'll never be friends nope they'll never be friends and then they're such polar opposites that they almost come around the other side and become friends and it's believable mm-hmm. and do you think this does that i think so because i think deep down emily wants to be a good mother and she sees stephanie as like all the things that she isn't and Stephanie sees Emily as like all the things that she isn't. Yeah, in so many movies, I never get why usually a female character falls for a male character who's Mm -hmm. just a jerk but exudes confidence and luxury and wealth and Mm -hmm. I don't ever get it. In this case, I I completely Mm -hmm. understood why the two of them became friends. And I think that's more a comment on Kendrick's performance as Stephanie than uh, Blake Lively's performance. Mm -hmm. And both great, but what made me understand the friendship is what Stephanie was lacking rather than what Emily had. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get that. And um, I just have to say, like, Anna Kendrick's clothes were things that I would wear just normally. <laughs> oh, she looks All the time. great. I loved it. It seemed yeah. very uh, appropriate. So well put together, mm-hmm. but still top of the line of what you could get at your local mall. Mm-hmm. While Blake Lively's that like extra high fashion step yes. up. Yeah. Yeah, but I loved their friendship because Stephanie is so just completely awestruck by the glamour and I think also more importantly the confidence mm-hmm. that Emily has. And then Emily, as we learn later, is always kind of in that shadow of missing her sister because she had this this other half that she no longer has, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's also a good chance that Emily, because of her confidence, because of how she treats other people, how um, abrasive she can be, and because of how busy she is with work, she probably does not have a lot of friends, right? No. Yeah, so that's kind of obvious. <laughs> And then when she hears about Anna Kendrick's secret uh, pretty early on in the film, she realizes that there's a little bit more to Stephanie. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes both sense, just like you were saying, that that both of them like each other. They're Mm -hmm. both seeing what they lack in their own lives and trying to make up for it in in this friendship. Yes, yeah. Because we do find out that 
Emily does want to be that better mother. Mm-hmm. She sees this as a, a flaw in herself, and it's something that she wants to correct. And in fact, it is kind of the driving force of why she gets into this big convoluted insurance murder thing. Yes, it, yeah. a lot of it is for her for her son, right? Mm-hmm. She wants the money for her son, so. Of course, she's going about it in her own way, but she sees what the stability that Stephanie provides and Mm -hmm. and desires that in her own life. Like she has that line where she says, don't denigrate your good parenting to make up for my shitty parenting. Yeah, that was a good line. That That was a very good line. (laughs) There's so many good bits Mm -hmm. in that first half hour. Just the whole bit about telling her not to apologize constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what Stephanie's character needs, Mm -hmm. right? She needs somebody to say, like, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you're always making up for something that you have uh, a lot of work to do to make up for something. But of course, that's what she feels in her own life because she feels like because of her actions, her brother and her husband are dead. Yes. So she's constantly trying to make up for that. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of that is just comes across so effortlessly mm-hmm. in that first half hour. And then I don't feel like it's sustained throughout. Hmm. Um, one of my favorite lines from the beginning of the movie is when Emily's just come in uh, to the front of the school out of the rain. And she's like, do you drink? <laughs> and then she's like, oh, maybe your kid drinks. Let's go. Because <laughs> like, yeah. she, she knows that she needs to like do this for her son for Nikki and that's like her driving force throughout the whole movie but um she's like very clearly not someone who opens up to other people right which is why initially she says no to the play date and then uh she's like I don't think this is gonna work because you're just like going on and on about one chocolate martini that you had one time (laughs) and you see later in this like little day that uh a chocolate martini is very offensive to her (laughs) because she's like a straight gin martini person yeah and i think it has to be her husband's brand of gin yes that is ryan reynolds brand of gin i only know that because Rarely in a movie do they so, so clearly show you the label of something. Oh, yeah, because she pulls, like, two bottles out in the first yeah. scene, and you can see the label on both of them. So then yeah. I had to look up, like, what is this gin? Is this something that they made just for the movie? But no, it's uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, aviation company. gin. Yeah. I've heard it's really good. Hmm. Maybe we'll have to try it sometime. Maybe we'll have to try it. Um, but yeah, so it's nice to see her kind of open up, and they almost become more friendly in this first meetup but then in the second meetup they're so relaxed they're like reclining on the couch and they're sharing like sharing secrets and it's just a much more relaxed moment yeah right at the beginning of the movie we get the reveal that she goes missing and they've only been friends for like five weeks Mm -hmm. but stephanie considers emily her best friend yes and right away i was like that's weird but then you watch it unfold, and mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I, I can see it, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that was forced. And I think to get two people to fall into friendship in a short amount of time in a movie is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very well done. It is. Based on a, on the backs of these two strong performances. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it helps that they're both such good actresses, and they're very convincing in their roles. And along with all of the kind of coaching that Emily does for Stephanie in that first bit. I feel like there is a message about women being pigeonholed or labeled as one thing and shoved into a certain category. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't think that it is explored enough or entirely comes to fruition mm-hmm. later on in the movie. They put that in there. And then I think those ideas, if they don't fully develop in that first little bit of the movie, they kind of abandon them towards the end of it because we get all sorts of other crazy things going on <laughs> that we no longer have time for those. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of a shame. Yeah, I, c- I could agree with you there. There's something that I wanted to ask you and our audience about if they uh, want to write in, but it comes up later in the movie, but it is revealed that in this five weeks of knowing each other, they have that one time where, of course, Anna Kendrick t- talks about having sex with her brother. Yeah. Oh yeah, we kind of didn't talk about that. We'll have to get we'll into get that some We'll get back to point. that, yeah. Um, but then Stephanie and Emily kiss. Mm-hmm. What did you make of that? Um, I think it was just, like, a highly emotional moment, and it was more of, like, a comfort thing. I don't know if that describes what I mean, but I think it was less, like, a sexual tension moment and more of a, like, how can I make her feel better kind of moment. I don't know how many people, when one of their friends is crying, would go to, like, five kisses lasting for ten seconds over, like, a hug. (laughs) you know i don't know if it's the most comforting i think this goes to uh how different blake lively's character is from like your stereotypical like best friend character and i think that blake lively doesn't seem like someone who does a lot of consolatory hugging perhaps i think it's her like more masculine energy and her, like, not being the softest, cuddliest person in the world, right? I get what you're saying, but it seems like there's an extra leap there from going from, I'm not the most uh, in touch with my feelings to like, okay, well, I'll make out with you then. Mm. I feel like that isn't necessarily the next step there. And earlier in the movie, there's this line about... Like, oh, you had a threesome with a girl? You're cool. Like, I I feel like in a lot of movies, they use two women kissing as like, oh, we're edgy. (laughs) And I kind of hate when they do that because like that's, we talk so much about cultural appropriation, Mm -hmm. but I feel like some women like to kiss women. That's their life. And to use it as just, like, a little tool to go, like, oh, we're edgy and cool. It feels like an appropriation of something. Hmm, Like, I don't feel like it goes anywhere. Because if they had said or explored the idea of one of them being attracted to the other, because I thought it would go that way. I thought Kendrick's character was very into Blake Lively's character. Mm -hmm. And it turns out not so much. Or if she is, there's nothing sexual about it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I think so. So, like, it just seems like we just make them kiss as, like, hey, look, we're edgy. And I don't think we should just use people's sexuality to make straight people look edgy. That's fair. I don't know. It just seemed odd because it goes nowhere and is never brought up or discussed again. Yeah. Did you get the impression at any point in the movie that Stephanie was going to be, like, obsessed with Emily? Um... It was something that I could see happening really, like, obviously at the beginning, but then it didn't really go that way. Yeah, and I wonder if the movie wanted us to think that Stephanie may be the villain in some way. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was 
Of course, that's not the case in the movie, but do you think the film was trying to lead us down that path at all? Maybe as like a fake out? I think it's because we're introduced by like, my best friend is missing. Oh yeah, we just met each other. It lends itself to the idea that this woman, Stephanie, just becomes obsessed with her and tries to take over her life, right? Mm -hmm. And then when she's speaking to the police, there's always an uneasy part about it. But then we learn that that's probably because of the death of her brother and husband and we every time somebody praises stephanie they always call her a saint and she's like oh no no i'm no saint right so i think we're meant to believe that as a bit of a red herring a little fake out that we think that stephanie has become obsessed with Mm -hmm. emily yeah i wish they had explored that more i actually would have liked that better as an overall uh, solution or like the reveal i would have enjoyed more if it was in fact stephanie rather than this big convoluted secret twins and triplets and all of that is that a little too much for you i think the more convoluted the plot got in all of its twists it got further away from what i liked most and that was Mm -hmm. these two characters And I guess that's not really a valid criticism because I'm saying like, oh, the problem with this movie is that it wasn't a different movie. (laughs) Pretty early on, they get away from the friendship of these two and it Mm -hmm. turns into this twisting crime drama, right? Mm -hmm. And I think once it gets into all of those, I was less on board because I think I just don't love movies where the biggest thing is like, can you untangle this huge like web of deception? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times, especially with a lot of modern mysteries, when we find the solution, it's less about, wow, that was a really clever villain. And it's more about the writer saying, like, look how clever I am because I tricked you. Mm-hmm. And it's less about twists in the like old sense of a twist mm-hmm. and more about tricks. Right. And I feel like this movie does get into that territory at the end. And that's what I like much less. Right. Yeah, the, I can see what you mean about like the beginning being more interesting and exciting and well done. And then the end, it does kind of finish up just like your average thriller with many twists and turns. I feel like the movie is confusing being clever with being convoluted and complicated. Right. Because it gets very complicated. Mm-hmm. But when we were watching it today as a rewatch, we kept going like, well, why would that have happened? Once you know the outcome Mm -hmm. and you watch the movie through, a lot of the plot devices don't actually make sense. Mm -hmm. They're just there as a kind of a film element to help get us interested in the movie and to distract us from what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's more manipulative than it is actually like good writing. Right. Yeah. It is um, a little bit more manipulative towards the, the latter half. So we're already getting into the end a bit, but let's backtrack a little. We have them set up as great friends, and then a bunch of stuff happens quickly with some reveals of secrets in the middle of the film. Yeah, so Stephanie shares that as a teenager, she uh, met and then uh, had sex with her half-brother. And um, Emily shares that she and her husband had his TA over for drinks and dinner, and then they had a threesome. And then Stephanie goes, oh, that's cool. You're cool. (laughs) Yeah. But they didn't actually, right? No, it seems like she might have been lying about that. Yeah. 
But the having sex with her brother and then her husband finding out and then her husband taking her brother and killing both of them. Yeah. That whole thing actually does nothing for the movie. No. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it doesn't have any effect on anything else. No, because it's all so much more about Emily. Yeah, the only thing that that does is makes Emily call Stephanie brotherfucker a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess they're trying to show that she's not some perfect little, like, mom robot. No, and they did need something, because that's also part of why Emily starts liking Stephanie, mm-hmm. is because she has some secrets some under depth, the surface, yeah. just just as she does, right? But this specific one is very specific and very dark, but ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess this is a part of what I wish was explored more. Maybe not the specifics of her, of all the incest, but Mm -hmm. just that this darker side of Stephanie that we know is there, but we don't really get to explore it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, The other thing that we learn about is that Emily and Sean are in lots and lots of debt. So that kind of sets the, like, sets a moment for you to think back at the end of the movie about like why some of these things happen did that work for you just saying like oh yes we're house poor so i might as well uh kill my sister fake my own death and uh get the insurance money um no that was like almost too many steps for that yeah like burn down your house or something and get the insurance money from that I don't, I don't know. That's, I guess, getting nitpicky, but I feel like that's such a big motivator. I need it to be more more substantial, more mm-hmm. concrete. Because it, it seems like a quick jump she makes to, uh, to fake her own death. Right. I guess that whole scene just seemed like it connected the rest of the movie with the beginning part of the movie. It's like... They talk about how Sean has no life insurance. And then later in their friendship, their five-week friendship, you find out that Sean and Emily have taken out a $4 million life insurance policy. So um, I think it just kind of, it's a connecting device. And I didn't think too hard about it. Yeah, and I think we're not supposed to. I think when you get into any movie that's relying on several twists, the less you think about them, the better off you're going to be as an audience mm-hmm. member. And I don't think that criticizing every little bit of the twists is worthwhile. Because I think most mysteries, especially most modern mysteries, can mm-hmm. be torn apart pretty easily. So yeah. I don't think that's not something I want to tear this movie apart for. That's just the nature of this type of movie, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really like steeped in a lot of old mysteries and old noir Like, there's a lot of bits from Double Indemnity, or there's a film called Dead Ringers, which revolves around people looking alike so you can fake deaths and things like that. There's a lot of that taken. And then, of course, I think there's a lot of modern influence, like uh, Gone Girl is probably a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even those uh, stylized credits right at the beginning come right out of a lot of 60s mysteries. Like, there's... um, charade seems to mm-hmm. be a part of it and they make reference to uh diabolique which is a remake of uh this clouseau movie uh les diabolique from the mid 50s so there's a lot of that and i wonder how much of it is uh paul feig the director and how much is the 
from the novel. Mm-hmm. I wonder, because I haven't read the novel no, and you neither. haven't either, it seems like there are two distinct voices in here. And of course, the screenwriter is someone else as well. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that about Paul Feig. Like when he does Bridesmaids or Ghostbusters, he has female writers. He doesn't go like, ah, I know what women yeah. think. He does direct a lot of uh, female-driven films. Like hmm. he did uh, those Melissa McCarthy ones and like The Heat and stuff like right. that. But he's smart enough to know, like, yeah, I can direct, but I'm not going to speak for women. Right women, yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of influence like that. So I wonder if the film influence is coming from him rather than from the novel. And maybe the influence from, like, Gone Girl, which I believe is a novel as well, right? Yes, it is. I I wonder if that comes through from the novel end. Like, the more modern influences are coming from the novel and the more classic influences since those are more about the visual aesthetic as well and the feel of it yeah i wonder if that comes from feig or from the uh maybe even the screenwriter as well i could see that i could see that for sure and i wonder what in this movie is satire because I was saying how I loved the the tone they strike in the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very serious, it's very stylized, but the humor they have seems satirical, mm-hmm. right? Like, they have a lot of jokes about how she's this perfect mom and a mom vlogger, right? Yeah. And all of that is restrained enough that it fits in with this... Uh, overall style and theme that they're going for yeah like you found the first let's say 40 minutes of it funny yeah did you yeah i thought it was hilarious more much more subtle at that point so as things get bigger though but the bigger things got the less sure i became of what was meant to be satirical and what was meant to be funny right like do you think it's funny when there's so many twists and like dead twin and dead triplet like that was that a joke do you think no i don't think so either but it got so like i don't want to use ridiculous because it sounds like i don't like this movie but i do but the twists do get ridiculous right no i i just felt like they were really trying to like lead you off the path that you think you're on i didn't think it was ridiculous Maybe that's the the difference. I thought that the twists were so ridiculous that I thought maybe that was satire. No. And making fun of other books of like, hey, now there's a dead twin. And No, I didn't, I didn't see it like that. But there definitely are a lot of elements that we see many times over, right? Mm-hmm. Like we get first plot twist. Of course, we know that she's not going to actually be dead. Mm-hmm. Or did you? Uh, the first time I saw it, I thought she might not be, but I think um, I, like, believed it at first. Because as soon as they showed Blake Lively dead at the about 30, 40-minute mark, I was like, oh, man, we're going to have to have a secret twin, aren't we? (laughs) So I didn't want to do that because it's something that, yeah, we see all the time. And then, so it turns out she's alive, of course. And then there's another twist when Stephanie's going to go along with Emily's new plan about like oh let's pin it all on the husband Mm -hmm. and then we get another twist because haha I wasn't actually on your side I was faking it all and there are 
police microphones all over the place. And then we get, oh no, but actually I saw that twist coming and I cut all your microphones. When did she do that? I don't know. Doesn't matter. And I sent the SWAT team to a different place because you can just call up the SWAT team and be like, oh, actually change the plan, SWAT team. We're going over here. It was cool? Sh- all right. I thought it was just the police, but... Okay, the police. And then the next twist is that the gun was fake and we have a fake shooting. But then, of course, she knew about that. And then the final twist is, like, you thought you outsmarted me by cutting those microphones. But in fact, I had another camera and microphone on me. And Mm -hmm. I've been live streaming this to everyone. But the police don't watch the live stream, I guess, because they should, you know, be there a little quicker. When there's that many twists and I lay it out like that, doesn't it sound kind of ridiculous? I just like that it, like, kept you on your toes because I, you know felt sometimes like oh I think I know what's going on and I think I know how it's gonna end and then another twist would happen and I enjoyed that I feel like you're reading too into this I think that's probably the case like I I found this a fun light but psychological thriller dark comedy movie like I didn't it's not a movie I'd watch if I was going for like a real thinker but I don't know I think in a lot of movies I give it too much credit by looking at things too seriously. But because of how good and how layered the beginning was, I'm going to be more critical of this movie because it was so good. And I think maybe that's to its detriment because I'm sitting here like picking it apart. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to pick apart like, how would the police get there? Because that doesn't serve anything because that's not what this movie is about. Mm -hmm. But what I am more curious about is... If they did that many twists, and all of those twists are things we've seen in many movies and books in the past, Mm -hmm. if they're doing that many, if it is kind of a commentary on that genre, or if those elements came through from the book, which perhaps wasn't as clever and satirical as this movie was, and maybe that's where I get that dissonance, that the movie is being more clever than the source material, perhaps? What do you think? Not having read the book, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah, neither of us have, so we can't speak on it. I don't know how clever the book was. I just felt like the twists were there to, like, make it less predictable. I think maybe I just wanted more than not knowing what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because anytime I watch a movie like this, I try not to guess at all. Right. There are some things that you can't help, like, when... your lead dies right away you're gonna like oh well she can't really be dead like certain things like that you can't help but uh, jumping to the conclusion because we've seen all of these movies in the past but I'm not trying to figure it out as I watch it I just kind of want to go along for the ride so when they're doing all these switchbacks and things that don't always make sense I'm not impressed that they fooled me because I, I'm in it. I want to be fooled. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, like, trick me. And I feel like that's what the last half of the movie gets into. But because it gets so broad in some of its comedy at the end, that's why I was wondering if maybe more of those twists are meant to have a, a comedic effect. Because there isn't any comedy in that part, really. Mm-hmm. And there's such sharp clever wit in the beginning of it that's why i'm I'm giving the movie that much credit because they they set up high standards in the first half of the movie that in my mind at least they didn't follow through with 
But maybe it's just me in that I liked the movie it was at the beginning and I didn't like the movie that it became. I Yeah, see, and I liked that it felt like a different movie towards the end. I enjoy the beginning. I really like the beginning. It's fun. It's fast. It's quippy. But um, I enjoyed the second half of the movie as well because it felt very different and it had less of a comedic tone to it. But then when it did get comedic, it was silly comedic. Mm-hmm. Which, with when paired with all of the serious stuff that's going on, it mm-hmm. seemed more out of place. Hmm. Like yeah, the comedy maybe. at the beginning when it's just Anna Kendrick getting made fun of by these other moms. Mm-hmm. That fit within that world, and I thought it was funnier. But then by the end, when we get, like, the very end, she gets hit by a car, and he jumps out of the car, and we have a hero shot, and he says, America's hybrids, silent but deadly. Like, that is so broad and so over the top that I don't know how to watch that shot and not think the rest of it is a satire Mm -hmm. because it's so big. Did you find things like that out of place or do you just kind of roll with it? I just kind of rolled with it. Do you think that line was funny? I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, they they went from, like, smoking bongs in their living room. Right, like that... Seems out of place with this. I think they're just showing that the like the three people who like the three parents who are always like making jokes at Stephanie's expense and you know like kind of scared of Emily. I think that they're showing that they're like human too, and they like might not drink martinis, but they're definitely doing stuff that like parents don't always do. It just seems like the first half of the film. The comedy and the drama was more restrained, and both were a part of the same film. Mm -hmm. Both were clever and cutting and relied on great performances. But as the movie progressed, the drama got more dramatic, more serious. People are being murdered in lakes. Mm -hmm. But the comedy gets more broad and less having to do with the characters. Like people just getting hit by cars or like, oh, they're smoking a bong. That's funny, right? Mm -hmm. None of the comedy seemed derived from the characters. And I think the first half, everything came from those two. Yeah. And the second half was just like, how about this twist? How about this twist? Here's a joke. Here's a joke. And it didn't have that cohesion that made the first half of the movie so successful and helped strike that really fine balance in the tone. Mm -hmm. When we got to the end, it seemed very unbalanced, that the comedy was, was very broad. And on the other hand, the dramatic elements were, were so bleak and grim and it was just harder to reconcile both of those elements as being part of the same movie. Mm-hmm. It's fun, and I I get it, but I feel like if you're going to go that far, you make it bigger and more satirical, and you make it a joke, like when he gets shot for the first time and it's fake, and he gets shot for the second time and it's real. Like, that seems like a joke, but I don't know if it was successfully played as a joke, or even if it was meant to be a joke. But it seems like that's one of those times where... If you're making it a satire of these types of uh, twisty mysteries, you make Henry Golding like say like, "Ah, she shot me for real this time." You like you play into it, maybe, but it just it seemed very um, disparate towards mm-hmm. the end. 
And then I also wondered if it was like a satire of like bored mom blog stuff. Because that's in there at the beginning, yeah. right? And I, I did think it was funny when she's doing her vlogs and you see like the comments popping up and the titles of her old vlogs. Yeah. Like I, I enjoyed all of that. But I wonder if maybe that's, again, something that could have been from the book that was serious and then the movie has taken it like a few steps further. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed uh, like it gets into bored mom wish fulfillment. Do you know what I mean by that? No. Do you ever see Ready Player One? No. Oh, well, um, if for people who have, it's like nerd wish fulfillment. Right. It's a movie, a book, and then a movie where, yes, being a nerd and staying in my basement and learning every piece of pop culture, it somehow helps this person save the world. Right. And that's like every nerdy guy's fantasy of like, mm-hmm. all of this was ma- meant for something. And in this one, it's like this type of wish fulfillment for for a certain demographic where they think, yeah, food vlogging, it turns out it is really important. And being a prepared, doting mother is going to save the day. And then you mix in some true crime obsession because that seems to be part of the same demographic. And then it's like a recipe for a successful movie if we just kind of put all that stuff together. Right. And I wonder if that comes from the book and didn't translate as well to the film, but it seemed like it's for... It's definitely for that audience of people who like the craft vlogs and they feel like this is important. And look, it does save the day in the end. It seems like a type of wish fulfillment for mommy bloggers. Right. And I wonder if how much of that is a joke. It seems like it is at the beginning because her vlogs are jokes. Right? Or are they? Because now I'm questioning everything. I thought they were very funny. I don't think that they're jokes to Stephanie. No, no. But to us, the audience, are we kind of laughing at her? Um, Not maliciously, but it's like she fits a certain stereotype at that Mm -hmm. point, right? Yeah. Did you enjoy her vlogs? I thought they were cute. And I think that they're definitely something that does exist in the real world. Oh, for sure. This is like a huge thing that stay-at-home moms do it's like every recipe on pinterest is some stay-at-home mom who just makes content by cooking what i my theory going into this movie pretty quickly was just um that this wasn't based on a book but rather based on a recipe Oh, you know how if you try to get a recipe on the internet you're like oh you just search in what temperature do I put my lasagna in? And you click on the first link and it goes, ah, lasagna, one of my favorite foods. Let me tell you the first time I had lasagna, I was six years old at my grandmother's house. And there's like this big, long fucking story and you can't just like get to the point. Yeah. So this movie, the first 50 minutes is the beginning of her vlog. Remember that? She goes like, my best friend's been missing for five days. Let me tell you what happened. Yeah. So this is just like a recipe. Like everyone's waiting for the recipe, but we yeah. get this whole movie in the meantime. True. Yeah, I could see that explanation for what the beginning of the movie is. Like, I think that she's quite impressive that she's been able to like monetize her blog and get all these followers. Yeah, I think the the vlog was a really good element to add because it's um it's a really good plot device because it allows her to summarize what's happened. She does like big exposition dumps and it allows her to speak directly to uh, Emily 
in a way that she wouldn't be able to otherwise and it really helps move the plot forward that way and i think it does contribute to it being uh, more like satirical and lighthearted because mm-hmm. it is uh, a heightened version of what we see and we kind of have this image of the uh, of the mommy vlogger right what did you think of the police officer in the movie the detective i didn't quite get him okay because he comes along later and he's like an asshole yeah and you hate him but it's at a point in the movie where I did have difficulty understanding the tone. So mm-hmm. I also had difficulty understanding what his tone was. Oh, see, like, I don't feel like I had trouble understanding the tone. And he just didn't seem to fit with the rest of the characters. Yeah. Like, he was outright almost mean to Stephanie when he goes to the house and questions her. And the husband as well. Yeah. And there's no reason at this point for that to be happening no and i wondered if some of that was meant to help push us to believing that stephanie was like a villain somehow Mm -hmm. his suspicion of her but i don't think that like really played out no and they never really went anywhere with it no i i I don't quite understand why he was the way he was like mean for no reason and then like it wasn't like he solved the case at the end I'm sure people listening will have some sort of opinion on it, but it kind of seemed to me if his character wasn't in the movie, it wouldn't have been a different movie. No, because it's not like he got a huge, like, story. Like, it wasn't like the first 15 minutes of the movie where her vlog tells the story and catches you up to when stuff starts to get real crazy. This police officer just kind of, like, is mean to them and leaves. Yeah. He's not like, so tell me about, you know, your family or like, and you get this big backstory on family or whatever. It would have been effective if he did some of the work and uh, discovered things and that's what moves the plot forward. Mm-hmm. But Stephanie does that. So yeah. we kind of don't need him. No. The only thing that's revealed through him is the encounter that Stephanie had with police officers after her husband and brother die. But we could have seen that when Stephanie and Emily were talking. Yeah, very easily. Like, it didn't. And she could say, like, and ever to this day, I hate law enforcement. Cause yeah, but that wasn't even the point of no. it. No, it's just, like, a little bit more of a story we had already heard. Yeah. I could have done without the cop. Um, another thing that didn't really add to the plot is when we meet Diana Highland, the artist played by Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Like, it gives you some backstory, and it shows that she hasn't always been this, like, high-powered fashion person, but it also doesn't really give you that much in the grand scheme of the world that this movie is in. Yeah. I'm a troubled artist, and now I only paint knives. Yeah. But see, that, I thought, maybe was a joke. I think that's a, a play on characters in other movies, because she was, like, so edgy that she only paints knives. No, because she said, like... After I painted her and she left me and she broke me, the only thing I can paint now is these knives. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Oh, I just thought it was sad. Well, there's a lot of that going together in the movie. Yeah. Sad and funny. or like, Yeah. It didn't go anywhere. I, also, of course, wanted to see more of her because it's a version of Linda Cardellini that we haven't seen in mm-hmm. films before. So I, I loved seeing her on screen. I'm just a fan of her. I think she's very good. And I thought she was very good at that. Why that character needed to be in here? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't really add anything other than we learn about 
her real name. I think if you break up this movie into acts, there's the first part about them being friends, the second part that is kind of them dealing with the death, then the third part about learning all these twists and turns, and it's getting progressively more crazy, and that's when we get the Cardellini character, Mm -hmm. the cop character, the mother character, and then at the end when it's twists on twists on twists, and it's back to being the uh, the three main characters at that Mm. point. And it just gets progressively bigger and more convoluted, I think. So I don't necessarily think that a lot of those characters in that fourth act needed to be there. Yeah. But I guess that's kind of what that part is about. It's about being the sleuth and finding all these leads and piecing together the yeah, story. Yeah, and trying to figure out who she actually is. When And when you get into the kind of procedural stuff of these types of mysteries, I think that's the section that a lot of people love. Mm-hmm. But I feel like maybe I'm just missing it because that's not... part of this movie that I liked. Mm, Yeah. So when Emily goes to the cabin to meet up with Faith, I found it really interesting the change in her kind of demeanor. She almost, in all the flashbacks, you see that Faith is kind of the driving force in their relationship. And then Emily takes kind of a back seat and is a little bit more clean cut and less like wild. And you see her kind of revert into that at the cabin. Which I found, like, another kind of layer of this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get to see changes in her based on who she's with, but kind of only in this situation, I yeah. guess. Because she's in control of every other one, and this is the first time where she's kind of uh, knocked off balance a little bit. Yeah, and so you see her kind of playing that submissive role for the first time in the movie until... She, but is she? She's not. She's the alpha. So you, Isn't that the line? Yeah. She uh, is promising Faith all sorts of, like, like we'll sell the house. I'll, you know, do what I have to do to make sure that you can have the money so that you don't tell. And you can almost see it in her eyes that it's, like, breaking her heart because she knows what she has to do in order to keep her secret safe. And that's killer sister. I also liked the dual performance by... Blake Lively. Yeah. The, yeah, those two characters were very different, even just in, like, body language. When she first showed up on screen, I didn't even recognize her as Blake Lively. Mm-hmm. I had to, like, look carefully and be like, oh, that's just her. But they kind of, like, made her look a little more, like, emaciated. Rushed her and, up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she's, she's lived a very different life yes. than Emily has. Yeah, I definitely thought, and even like the tone and the cadence of their voices, and the mm-hmm. way that the way that Blake Lively stands and walks when she's Faith, she has so much uh, pride and confidence in her in her stride. But when you see the uh, the other sister, yeah, I keep getting mi- mixed up. If Emily Faith is actually Emily. No, Faith yeah. is not Emily. Emily's real name was Hope. Hope. Okay, that's yeah. It. Yeah. So yeah, Faith just bears the weight of being beaten down her whole life, yeah. right? And you can see it how she moves. Yeah, and you can tell that she's not like totally sober. It seems like from the way that she moves and the way she walks. And Emily is so in control all the time, no matter how many martinis she's had. Right. That it's just such a stark difference, and you get to see them in um kind of. A closed-in habitat where you don't have anybody else interacting. And so you get to see the difference kind of stark against um, 
just like a plain white backdrop pretty much. And then they also mentioned there's a triplet that died in the womb. Mm-hmm. It seems like an odd thing to just include that doesn't go anywhere. It's just an extra thing. It's like the reason for the tattoo and the reason that their mom doesn't like them. Oh. Oh, maybe. I. You know what? I think I didn't even pick up on that. There was a moment where she's like, Emily makes this kind of half like throwaway comment about like, yeah, and my mom never or our mom never forgave us for it was killing their third like should they think that the twins killed the triplet in the womb right and that the mom just like held a grudge against them forever for killing their sister when like really it happens all the time and killing their dad and killing their dad which is something that they did do and it seems like that bad relationship with their mom and their mom thinking that their murderers kind of drove them to act out like that also their dad didn't seem great no but also, again, as I came out last episode as being against murder, I still don't think he should be murdered. True. Oh, I forgot about that hot take. Yeah. I forgot that you're anti-murder. I am. You know what? I made up uh, my mind. Anti-murder. I am also anti-murder. Overall, this movie is still a very good movie to me, and I still love it. Would you recommend this movie to people? Yes, I would recommend it. I think it is a a nice little breath of fresh air from all of those very dark and dire mysteries, like your Gone Girls, your Mm -hmm. Girls with the Dragon Tattoo. There's not an ounce of comedy in Mm -hmm. any of those, and and that's fine. Like, that's its own thing. Mm -hmm. But I enjoy this movie because it is a bit of a blend of genres And when you get so set in your ways in one type of film, like that's what this type of film is, Mm -hmm. it limits people creatively. And I like that Feig and his whole group are coming into something like this and putting their own little spin on it. Yeah. I think it's good for filmmaking when these types of things happen. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I don't think this was entirely successful. I think that the first half of the movie had so much promise that it makes me extra critical about the second half because I uh, loved the acting, I loved the cinematography. We didn't talk about the soundtrack, but there's lots of like uh, Serge Gainsborough, oh, yeah. Francoise Hardy, um, my favorite white supremacist Brigitte Bardot. Oh yes, and also the score does a very good job of walking that same line of having it kind of light and bouncy, but also mm-hmm. like mysterious, like something is always underneath the surface. And I love that balance of the first half, but I feel like it gets too big and convoluted and they start throwing everything at you. Mm -hmm. All of these characters that don't always go somewhere, all of these twists that don't always go somewhere, big, broad jokes. And then by the end of the movie, we have an epilogue where it's like, oh, she's in prison, but she's doing fine. And we have her like trash talking people on a basketball court. It just seems so far from that character study that was happening in the first half where we are taking a very honest touching yet funny look at two people who are damaged in different ways and Mm -hmm. finding some sort of strength together and i get that that can't be the movie that's a different movie i just i also always talk about like there's not many like female friend movies when they're not competing about something and I love that in the beginning because Mm -hmm. they were both providing something to the other that they themselves could not provide for themselves right and I get that I'm wanting a different movie if I want that to go on 
but I do think they could still continue this mystery, twisty story, but keep it more grounded into those characters, or at least into the themes that we get in that first half. Mm -hmm. But there's just so much being thrown at you that it seems much less focused and gets more interested in trying to trick the viewer rather than guide the viewer on some sort of journey like Mm -hmm. that was happening in the uh, first half. So I think it's a good movie. I think more movies like this should exist. Great performances, Mm -hmm. but ultimately lets me down a bit at the end because it doesn't deliver on so much of the promise of what was set up. That's a fair critique. Well, I think that everyone should see this movie, and um, I think it's just a fun watch. I think it's fun. I think that you can get really in-depth with it if you wish, um, or you can just kind of watch it and go with the twists and turns and have some fun. Yes, more light-hearted mysteries, please. Yes, please. And I know people are going, what about Knives Out? I saw Knives Out. I get what they were doing. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't this. People love Knives Out. Oh. They think it's so smart. Again, because yeah. they're like, oh, well, did you see that twist and the twist? I was like, I don't know. I think tricking an audience is not the entire goal for no. a movie. And people love to just say this movie was great because they didn't see the ending coming. And I guess it's just me. I don't think that's important. I don't think being tricked makes something a good movie. Being surprised might make it a good movie. And I think those are different. Yeah, those are definitely different things. And I agree. I think being tricked isn't as important as having a good story and a fun time all the way through. Okay, well, we will see you next week when we find out what indie will be bringing us to watch for the week after. I haven't thought about it, but since we did this, I feel like this might be a good time for me to bring in some old noir. Oh, I had a feeling that that might be where you go next. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, we'll see you next week. We'll have some things of the week and I'll let you know what we're watching. Perfect. Okay, we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Um, I, so this movie, I lost my spot. Um, so this film is, uh, it starts, well, (laughs) that was a lot of words that meant nothing. Um, 